Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Tanja Vogel from the University Clinics Freiburg on this show. Please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. You got your PhD from the Medical School Hanover in Germany in 1997. You then moved on to do a postdoc at the EMRC Human Genetics Unit Edinburgh and at the MPI for Biophysical Chemistry in Göttingen and started your own group at the University of Göttingen in 2005. You then became professor in 2010 and joined the University of Freiburg in 2011, where you are still today. A question I like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you, did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science? Okay, that um, is a very nice startup. And um, yeah, I'm happy to share that basically due to my, my school training, I was uh, very broadly interested in basically everything. So um, I um, had biology as um, sort of one of these major subjects, but also history. And uh, initially I was planning to become a teacher for history and uh, something else. But um, at the time I was afraid that I would end up as a taxi driver. And so I thought, okay, maybe I take uh, a subject that is uh, more upfront and thought that molecular biology would be would be a nice um, uh, way to go for. And then I decided to um, study biochemistry and plain biochemistry. At the time, there were only like four um, universities offering courses, and uh, I was lucky to um, to get um, an admission to the University of um, Hanover. And there, I studied then biochemistry, and uh, yeah, retrospectively. Speaking, um, I'm really happy that I took this um, um, chance decision um, and uh, that uh, I was then uh, diving into, into molecular um, biology, basically, and biochemistry, which is my subject of training. Now what about the history of science? Would that have been something... <laughs> That is a good question retrospectively as well, but uh, it's uh, hypothetical. So history of science um, is, yeah, this is this is the past, right? And now I think I'm more eager to learn about uh, the unsolved problems that are lying there before us. And uh, this is really driving, driving me every day that um, I want to uh, unpack the boxes, sometimes um, harboring the, the Pandora. Yeah, maybe um, we can we can look at some of the boxes that you already packed and unpacked. Um, so um, your science centers around how epigenetic modifications instruct stem cells during central nervous system development, FOXG1, and the etiology of FOXG1 syndrome and signaling pathways and their connection to chromatin, obviously. <laughs> so uh, I want to start in 2010. There you highlighted the contribution of histone methylation in the neuronal uh, specification of upper layer neurons in an AF9 mutant mouse model. Um, can you talk about this story? This ha must have been one of the first paper out of your own lab, right? Yeah, this is basically, uh, well, that is still part of uh, my postdoctoral training, I would say, because I started the project um, when I joined uh, the group of Peter Gruß and the Max Planck Institute of Biophysical Chemistry in Göttingen. 
Um, and there, basically, we were interested to um, identify factors that um, showed sort of a regional expression um, in um, the forebrain. Um, because this is a highly organized and aerialized structure, and um, uh, we were and are still interested how this develops. And um, then I um, came across this transcription factor AF9 or MLLT3. It is a translocation um, hotspot and uh, fuses with um, MLL, which is a histone um, H3K4 um, um, methyltransferase. And at the time, basically, uh, it was th that that is, has a strong link to leukemia, leukemia. And at the time, it was not clear how these um, um, modifiers and to which um, AF9 um, or MLLT3 belongs, um, which uh, under mutation mainly show homeotic transformations, what these um, molecules would do in the brain. And uh, you know, homeotic um, transformation during development is also um, mediated by polycomp um, um, protein complex, and this basically attracted my my interest in exploring how basically Hox regulators that are not expressed in the brain what they are doing there, and that basically drove me um, towards exploring MLLT3 AF9. And uh, for this, I was uh, uh, happy to, to characterize this mouse model and uh, for the first time show that um, the um, histone H3K79 uh, methylation basically has an impact of specifying a specific subpopulation of neurons, which are these um, upper layer neurons. And that was also my first attempt to um, to do uh, chromatin immunoprecipitation um, there. Um, teaming up with the lab of um, Stephen Johnson at the time in Göttingen. And uh, that was, yeah, my first uh, real contact, I would say, with uh, the chromatin by precipitation and uh, some qPCRs. So talks when it comes to chromatin are mostly about modifications of the histone tail. So lies in 79. Is this still considered part of the tail? Or I mean, it's, it's always where does the question, where does the tail end? Is K79 already part of the core? Is there something special about K79 that makes it maybe dif difficult to chip? Um, yes, <laughs> multiple questions. So first of all, I would uh, uh, consider that K79 is really in the nucleus of the core and not in the tail. And I think that is also um, shared by all colleagues working on, on, on K79 methylation. Um, it is very well chippable nowadays, so there is, there is not a problem. Um, what poses um, more a problem, at least for my lab, is to basically show the enzyme.1L itself and uh, where it is present, right? So we are mainly working in the mouse and uh, we think that antibodies recognizing .1L in the mouse are not really convincing in, in all circumstances. But the mark itself does not make um, huge problems. So we have, um, and our colleagues have generated multiple data sets, right? Showing um, really nice chipsec um, tracks and also um, doing um, um, chip and qPCR um, usually gives um, really um, faithful results with the respective controls. So I would consider that, that this is not a problem. Um, 
the meaning of K79 methylation, that is, um, I think, a difficult um, part, right? So um, literature is full of um, reports claiming it's an activating mark, and uh, it is, of course, associated also with um, active transcription. Um, we usually pick uh, and also report on um, some contra uh, contrasting results, which um, show, for example, that uh, K79 um, dimethylation specifically is also found at um, loci that um, are not active but are more more silenced. Or nowadays, I would say that they are sort of poised because we see um, um, uh, a nice crosstalk also to K27 um, trimethylation. And uh, this is also not um, um, a single observation by my lab, but also other um, um, colleagues report on 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 um, this this correlation between the two marks, and that uh, might be an interesting um, way, basically, to follow up research also on K79 methylation. Right. So. Um, I, I don't know basically the meaning, right? I mean, you, you find the different methylations, monodi and trimethylation at different um, sites. Um, as said, we are we are mainly focusing on the dimethylation, and um, we or I don't know what it is, what what the meaning of this of this methylation really is now, because I think that we sometimes have like conflicting results between genetic uh, knockdown and or removal um, of the dot one r protein and then it's enzymatic inhibition so that does not necessarily follow a straight um, um, interpretation and the black and white pattern but it is sort of um, difficult to to untangle there is no reader for this mark as of yet and or i mean only few reports <laughs> claiming there would be. Um, and of course, there's also no way to um, um, actively get rid of the mark as we um, think um, as of yet. So it is then uh, the only option, right, to, to dilute um, um, this modification through um, um, cell cycle regulation or to going through multiple rounds of, of, of cell division which then does not play any role in the nervous system if we look at neurons, because neurons are terminally differentiated cells, which um, do not divide, right? And so um, that would basically mean once you have K79 uh, methylation um, at one site, it should stick there, right? Yeah, so you, you touched already uh, on, on many points uh, of my next questions <laughs> so uh, one of, of those uh, would be dot one l right uh, it's an interaction partner of the af9 protein and it's i think uh, you mentioned it just now that the reader uh, no not the reader because there is none uh, the writer of the, this modification um you started to investigate the dot one l um so what did you find about the function of dot one l in stem cells i think you you looked at it in neuro stem cells um and also in the process of neuronal development. Mm -hmm. So um, the function of dot one L as as we um, well looking looking at all um, data that we have acquired from different um, um, neuroanatomical um, locations, including the forebrain uh, and there the dorsal and the ventral telencephalon, for example, and the hippocampus. We looked we looked in the cerebellum and also in the spinal cord. 
Um, I have the feeling that Botwanel is um, really a gatekeeper or a state preserver um, um, of a given state, either being a stem cell. So you have to override um, um, the information um, um, that dot one l is, is basically um, um, referring to uh, to trans uh, transfer to the next stage. Right? For example, you have a stem cell, and the stem cell wants to become um, a neuron at some point. So you have to actively override the information that dot one l um, um, is is given to activate programs. Um, that allow a cell to express um, um, genes that are necessary for neuronal differentiation. And this basically is an observation that really holds true for all of the um, systems that we have looked at. Um, but also, um, if, you, if you look at, um, at the next stage, if a stem cell has um, acquired a neuronal fate already, and dot one l is um, um, regulating transcriptional programs that are implicated in pathfinding and to to really place then the cell um, um, into the network that it belongs to. Right, that is a um, peculiarity, I think, of uh, the nervous system development. That um, after a stem cell um, um, has left the the active um, stem cell um, proliferating um, state. It becomes differentiated. That it also has to migrate um, um, it, to the to the site where it then um, finds it. Um, it well, it, its last um, um, location. For example, um, in the cortex, that means that you um, um, migrate as um, as a young neuron from um, a part where you are near the ventricle um, towards the outer surface, right? And that can be quite a substantial way that you have to, to um, um, overcome. Or if you are a specialized uh, neuron and you're born in the ventral telencephalon, you migrate um, um, tangentially um, even longer um, to find um, um, your place within um, the cortex and within cortical networks. And um, here we have found that dot one l also is implicated in um, um, finding the terminal place where um, a young neuron basically then integrates into into the system, and that um, is of of relevance, right? That because you could um, um, imagine that you have diseases where um, um, you have a disbalance between um, uh, or within a, a neuronal network where you have over excitation or under excitation, right? And uh, this is something um, that you don't want to happen because it can uh, manifest in, in diseases like, for example, epilepsy or um, schizophrenia or I don't know, any or there's a whole bunch of of more um, um, new developmental diseases that impact the balances um, um, of activity within a neuronal network, which would be a very important role, right? I mean, every protein or every factor that is uh, involved in neural development, neuronal development, is is very important and probably very hard to study because if you get rid of it, it will. Be not not be easy to study probably. Yeah, if you are too harsh in your condition and your factor is too important, then of course um, the organism is not developing properly, and uh, usually um, um, you have um, strong phenotypes which lead to um, 
for example, perinatal uh, lethality. This is also something that um, most of our mutants um, suffer from. There's a good question. Why do these do these organisms uh, die? Which is the question that we cannot answer, right? Um, uh, because they have like smaller brains, but this is not necessarily a reason for um, not being able to live at all. Um, but um, yeah, .1L is, is, is very important for the entire development. Uh, this is the reason why um, the um, proper uh, and the full knockout basically does not um, reach uh, later developmental stages than in the mouse, like seven days, right? which is very early before you really have um, an important organ develops, the development being initiated. So dot one L mediates all three degrees of methylation of HVK seventy nine, what we already talked about, and uh, its enzymatic activity is critical to modulate cellular differentiation and reprogramming. We already talked about that, and you also investigated um, the uh, accessibility of the SOX two enhancer in this context. Um, what did you learn about uh, the function of this enhancer or about the accessibility? Yeah. This was um, also really um, um, interesting to see that um, um, HVK and 79 dimethylation is not uh, restricted to gene bodies, where basically it is it is mainly found, but um, that uh, within uh, neural precursor cells um, where we were working on, but also in, in, in cancer cells, um, we saw that um, K79 dimethylation is also impacting enhancers. And uh, through attack sequencing, um, which we correlated to these chip sequencing um, data, we saw that um, uh, we have the mark specifically at enhancers and they're um, um, impacting upon um, being present or being removed the accessibility um, towards SOX2 enhancers. Uh, funny enough, um, these SOX2 enhancers or all accessible sites um, 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 upon dot one L enzymatic inhibition do not necessarily um, also have the mark. So the enhancer can change its accessibility upon dot one L inhibition without being marked with K seventy nine dimethylation, which is also um, um, well another mis uh, miracle that we that we somehow have to have to solve right and to to understand how how that can be. So maybe dot one L has another function or another target. Yeah, um, I think that uh, .1L um, has its main function really through its interaction partners and acting in complexes, and that maybe the K79 methylation itself is sort of um, a flagging of uh, telling the system that .1L was there, um, but I'm not sure whether the mark itself has has a real driving force itself, right? Because that is, um, yeah, it, it, it might be really a bystander and not a, a cause, a really cause um, um, for the effects that um, that we are observing. Do you know if there is any connection to H3K37, uh, 36? Um, because it's also found in gene bodies and is uh, an active mark. Yeah, I am there. Um, There are reports, um, and we also have some um, um, unpublished um, um, observations that dot um, one L might um, 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 co or co-influence splicing 
which means that it's also um, co-migrating uh, with um, the the RNA pole two machinery, right? We know that dot one L um, or the complex um, that dot, uh, contains dot one L is also um, interacting uh, with um, um, the CTD of of RNA pole two, so they travel um, along. And of course, also um, um, this H3K36 um, trimethylation has similar pattern, right? So I am, um, and, and for this, I think that uh, at least for some genes where we have this striking um, methylation within the gene bodies, there is um, um, a strong correlation to, to K36 trimethyl. However, we never saw massive changes in K36 trimethyl upon enzymatic interference with DOT1L itself. So I think that they are really um, correlating, um, but uh, not acting causatively together, if one may say so. Yeah, not. Uh, I think we. I, I heard this like in one of the last episodes. Um, not, just because they are at the same place doesn't mean they are acting together, right? Uh, it, it, there must yeah. be yeah yeah absolutely absolutely this is also what we what we observe now with the K27 trimethyl right where we where we have indication that EZH2 um, is affected um, in, in some systems by um, um, changing its expression but sometimes it's the recruitment um, so um, there are um, yeah ways to to cross talk but I think there are um versatile there are there is a plethora of um, uh, possibilities how that uh, can be exerted and um it will be really interesting to learn uh, with with um, novel experimentation whether it's direct or indirect right mm -hmm. whether it's just making space for the other one and uh, um not occupying um sufficient um sufficient parts or or places of the chromatin um, so that um, other factors cannot access, for example. So this would be a scenario that I could envision that mm. um, explains many of these um, cross crosstalks, which might be indirect and correlated. So we are recording this in October 2023. And over the course of the summer, like in August, September, yeah, August and September, um, three papers uh, regarding dot one. I'm just looking at your PubMed record here, <laughs> were uh, published. Um, and I think the H3K27 trimethylation um, information you just shared was part of one of those. Um, so is there something um, you can share about those three studies that, that uh, yeah, you want to share? For our latest results, yeah, this um, th they are basically... <laughs> Completely unrelated. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, yeah, the 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 bracket, or yeah, that that is only dot one else. So um, um, first we um, um, have published um, a story of where uh, we looked at the enzymatic activity of dot one L and during cortical development um, of the glutamatergic, that means excitatory. A neuronal lineage um, where we used um, extensive um, single cell um, characterizations. Um, initially, I was interested of how much of um, the dot one L information is basically transmitted to a next cell generation. Um, however, um, 
we face some some problems in uh, resolving on single cell uh, level um, the the chip um, um, uh, results, chip sequencing, and uh, with the advent now of single cell cut and tag, I think that we can um, go back to this initial question. But in that story, um, we were able to basically show that um, the inhibition of um, .1L um, leads to an activation of metabolic um, programs, and that on one side is um, um, switching to um, a state of glycolysis that um, is a hallmark of differentiated neurons. And on the other hand, we saw that um, .1L regulates aspirogen synthetase, um, which, um, as the name says, um, synthesizes aspirogen, um, which is also an important uh, metabolic enzyme for brain development because mutations of that result in smaller brains called microcephaly. And there we could show that this inhibition of, case, uh, of uh, .1L um, leads to the reduction of K79-dimethylation, but also to K27-trimethylation, um, which then basically allows that this gene um, um, gets activated prematurely, um, probably in stem cells, which um, is followed by differentiation. This is also what we have shown then by overexpressing um, the aspirogen synthetase in the stem cells, which is sufficient to drive them um, out of their stem cell state and to initiate uh, differentiation. And another paper, we basically looked at interneurons um, and they um, have a different um, origin and a different developmental um, um, logic, um, but they also depend on um, um, expression of .1L there. Um, in that study, we also observed that um, stem cells exit prematurely the cell cycle. They differentiate too early. And by this, they, they are exhausting the pool of, of progenitors so that um, the last neurons that are basically born, um, there, there are not sufficient um, stem cells for them to generate them. And this is why uh, numbers drop. And uh, this is... Uh, what we have what we have seen when we do um, an interneuron precursor specific knockout of dot one l that we see that the last interneuron population is not made in sufficient numbers. And um, in the third study, that um, basically describes the um, um, the complex or one of the complexes that dot one l is part of. And there we looked at NPM1, nucleophosmin 1, which is also an important um, a molecule for, for cell biology. Um, it, is, um, uh, it has many functions, and the function that we were looking on was the organization of the nucleolus. And um, there we basically saw that um, the knockdown of NPM1 um, comes together with um, increased K79 dimethylation levels, which was also observed by, by other colleagues. And uh, we could show that uh, .1L and NPM1 are engaged in a feedback loop of regulating each other's expression, probably to, to balance um, availability of the respective proteins. And uh, that this overexpression or the over um, the activation of, of dot one L expression and K seventy nine dimethylation comes together with um, um, a disruption um, of the nucleolar architecture, probably not because of dot one L, but because we reduce NPM one levels, 
but uh, both of them basically impact the expression and um, of um, a major satellite repeats, which which we have observed. Um, the, um, yeah, which is which is the main story, right? You, you you see, it's 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 not so much uh, on dot one L. It's it's more um, characterizing NPM one, but um, we did not find. Um, really good evidence what both protein could do together in a in a complex. I see. Mm -hmm. So switching gears a little bit, another protein next to dot one L that you are working on is FoxG1. Um, FoxG1 prevents cell cycle exit by binding to the smart Foxo protein complex, and you investigated the details of this process. Um, what did you find there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, FoxG1 is one of these transcription factors that are um, of absolute importance for the developing um, um, forebrain, right? Is it a um, pioneer transcription factor, right? It is a transcription factor, yeah. A, mm -hmm. pion a pioneer um, transcription factor? Um, pioneer, um, I would doubt okay. that it's a pioneer um, um, and being able to, to first open up and then basically allowing um, uh, chromatin modifications to, to be placed. I think it is a modulator um, of, um, of the chromatin. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Sorry, I was, I was mixing it up with FOX-A1. <laughs> yeah, FOX-A1 is a, is a clear pioneer, right? But for FOX-G1, this um, is, uh, has not been shown. And um, also our um, chromatin data do not really propagate this. Um, pioneer function. So it is, it's a modulator of uh, chromatin um, interpretation and accessibility. Yeah. So, um, yeah, FOX21 is, is really important. And we used it um, as a, as a, um, as a Cree line for um, studying dot1L. And in this context, because it's a lock in, um, we also thought, okay, it might be a good idea to study FOX21 itself. And this is why this is a spin-off and, and, and being now an own line of, of research. FOXG1 um, has also uh, many, many functions um, at the chromatin level, but also aside from the chromatin level. And we um, we also studied this um, um, impact on post-transcriptional regulation, for example, by um, um, association with um, the um, microRNA um, processing machineries. Um, and um, at the chromatin level, we were reporting um, earlier um, this year um, a large study of where we used um, also chip sequencing for FOXG1 and also attack sequencing to understand um, um, what uh, and how um, FOXG1 can, can influence um, gene expression at the chromatin level. Um, FOXG1 is also mainly reported as a transcriptional repressor. As usual, we find that it's also an <laughs> transcriptional activator, uh, contradicting um, um, these um, earlier findings. But I think this is now also accepted in the field that um, depending on the context, FOXG1 can activate or repress. And um, uh, we found a strong um, um, correlation to um, uh, enhancer regions again, and um, a reduction of FOXG1 um, impacts chromatin accessibility and K27 acetylation at these sites. And uh, there we also found that um, FOXG1 um, um, is not only acting on its own, but um, that it has um, important um, interacting um, um, 
transcription factors such as NeuroD1. And there we um, basically um, found, which, which I find very um, attractive also as uh, as as way to, to regulate transcription, that uh, there is not a clear hierarchy between these um, two transcription factors, but that they um, um, influence each other. Sometimes it's NeuroD1 binding and recruiting FOXG1. Sometimes it's the other way around. And in some occasions, they, they also um, act totally independent from each other. So um, I think what drives us now with, with future questions is really um, um, how these site-directed recruitments and, and how these site-specific dynamics of uh, um, transcription factors of uh, chromatin modifiers um, can, be, can be explained, right? Because we know that they are regulated and that they find their place, but we don't understand how that's, that's going. And this is basically where the signaling um, comes into play. Um, you have um, um, mentioned correctly that uh, FOXG1 um, acts together with a smart pathway. That means it's under control of the transforming um, growth factor beta family, TGF beta. Um, but this um, is not the only one. It's also um, controlled by um, FGF signaling, that means fibroblast growth factor signaling. And um, it will be really um, interesting and also um, one of our next attempts to understand how signals basically um, regulate um, um, these chromatin-specific um, events mm. that are occurring for transcription factors, but also for chromatin modifiers. So you touched many of the questions I wrote down. <laughs> so maybe I can can uh, just uh, pick some. Um, so uh, you mentioned the, the the story that you published earlier this year, so 2023, and there you used, um, as you said, you used many uh, methods together in a multiomics approach. So uh, why did did you choose this multiomics approach? What did it enable you to do? What was the the real advantage here? Yeah, um, that was. That was um, a factor that delayed our, <laughs> our publication quite substantially because uh, we did this um, um, FOX G1 chip and um, I was really surprised to see it in enhancer regions. And then uh, within, we were working in, in primary hippocampal neurons and you know, data sets are sparse and, and not, not many um, um, and, yeah, omic data sets published on this particular um, um, cell types. So we were forced to um, uh, really show that these are enhancers, which then basically um, um, drove us into performing the K27 acetylation um, chip sequencing. But because we want, we did not only want to do K27 um, acetyl, we also included um, H3K4 trimethyl and um, and uh, I think also 27 trimethyl within this data set. So that was that was the second <laughs> multi-omics part. And then because we were then proving that we are working with enhancers, we said, okay, if FOXG1 um, um, impacts K27 acetylation and enhancers, it will probably lead to um, um, differences in chromatin accessibility. The way to address that is then to, to do attack sequencing, which was then the next step that we did. And um, in the course um, um, of this experimentation, we wanted to explain why K27 acetylation is changing because FOXG1 is not um, a histoacetyltransferase or a um, deacetylase. 
So it uh, basically um, has to interact with something. So we did a proteomics analysis. We saw that HDX associate with FOXG1. And then basically the question is, of course, if you work on a, on a neurodevelopmental disease, or whether you can use this information um, to uh, drive therapies. And we thought, okay, there are so many um, um, HDEC inhibitors, and if um, um, FOXG1 um, uh, works together with HDEC, so maybe we can exploit this information for doing therapies. And there we then did um, 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 an inhibition um, um, experiment of HDEX. And this, of course, meant that we had to um, do another um, data set and uh, look for um, transcriptional um, alterations, which is basically, yeah, opening one box uh, leads to many more boxes <laughs> that you have to open to understand uh, the biology behind um, at one um, point you um, need to say well now it's enough right <laughs> now it's enough we have done enough experiments let's let's write the paper yeah i mean yeah but there was one question after the other and of course now we have um again um, um a plethora of um questions that we would like to ask um using uh, using multi-omics approaches which which i find um, uh, really, really fascinating to work with because we, we always have a genome-wide view and um, there are so many <laughs> observations that you can draw uh, that, you, that you can um, observe um, in, in the single data sets. But if you then combine, you have other um, views on the regulative, regulative um, mechanisms and, um, and to untangle these and to understand the, the individual molecular machinery, I find absolutely fascinating. Um, and uh, driving our research. Mm -hmm. So you already uh, kind of answered my next question, but imagine you are due to submitting a grant proposal tomorrow. Um, what would you have written into that or maybe would have written into that if it was not coming from your lab now? <laughs> so maybe a more imaginative uh, grant proposal. <laughs> oh, well, um, it's not that we don't have many ideas in our head. <laughs> So um, obviously for FOXG1, we would like to understand or, or to come a little bit closer towards um, understanding the human disease, because human development is a little bit um, um, different from what we know from the mouse, of course. And uh, we would like to um, um, get funding for um, driving our research on human FOXG1 and using brain organoids and now um, um, putting basically um, everything that we have um, learned um, uh, in, in methods, but also in, in the biological system from the mouse um, towards um, the human system. So that is what we are doing there. And um, in regard to, to dot .1L research, um, I mean, I would really, really love to understand whether K20, uh, K79 uh, methylation has a meaning or not. But for this, um, this question is, is, is really difficult to untangle. And I don't think that I could write the grant just now. I'm always thinking that um, larger labs um, equipped with more technologies, they should tackle um, these difficult questions. But since nothing is basically being published, I think that other labs and other PIs or other researchers are as clueless as I am understanding this um, this this particular mark um, at this very moment. 
So for the last almost 40 minutes now, we have taken a journey through your scientific career. Um, did we miss something important or would you like to add something? Um, no, I think uh, this is this is mainly the the content, right, of my of my research. Of course, uh, there's many things that we did not talk about. Um, all um, the failed attempts, for example, that um, come across or come come alongside our our scientific careers. All these um, hypotheses that uh, you find absolutely brilliant at the moment that uh, you think about them, but which um, you can never prove. <laughs> Um, this is, of course, um, also something that um, is is part of any any scientific career. Like uh, probably people do not do not touch on these points too much, but um, I think we should be honest and also encouraging um, um, the younger um, and, and and early research um, um, uh, careers for not giving up, but uh, to follow the path and to find. Um, um, Yeah, the right boxes to unpack. And uh, it's clear that sometimes a box is empty. Um, but um, yeah, nevertheless, uh, science is real fun and uh, you can ask so many questions. So yeah, being curious is, uh, yeah, I think a main driving force. So thank you, Tanya, for your time and for being on the show. Yeah, thanks very much for your time and having me here. And uh, yeah, enjoy Christmas, everyone um, who might listen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.